Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And we all know it is the day before the actual draft. Kind of came in out of nowhere. Like it's felt like it's been so far away. We're finally going to hit it, but I got to chop this day down to two parts. Part one, I'm going to get you guys updated with all the Thunder-related news, nothing related to draft for the most part, but tonight I'm going to get you guys another podcast that's going to hit all the basics on the latest rumors and the latest deals surrounding the league because they are bound to happen. Approaching 24 hours now of the actual draft, you're going to start to see some movement, so Anything that you got in the morning might be gone by, you know, 12 p.m. So I'm going to get you guys one about as live as possible tonight. So just be prepared for that. But in today's episode for the morning, at least, we're going to be talking about SGA trade rumors. We're going to be talking about the Paycom Center. Going to be talking about G League and Thunder guys scrimmaging. Just a lot of different stuff. And I'm even going to top it off with a little bit of Steven Adams chatter. But before I go into all of that, guys, I just want to let you all know about the Basketball Podcast Network. The Basketball Podcast Network brings you, the listener, top of the line coverage for 26 different franchises around the NBA, with myself included being the host for the Oklahoma City Thunder affiliate. You guys can check out this podcast along with many more through their website, thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, or you can check out their Twitter page at HoopsPodNet. But now, let's get right into the show, and we are going to start it out with the Paycom Center. We've kind of seen this for about a week or two. There's been speculation. Velveeta has been in the talk, but has it just kind of been one of those Thunder Twitter memes, potentially? But the one that's really surfaced through it all has been Paycom, and we got a lot of tweets from some pretty credible news sources a couple days ago, but it got set in stone yesterday. The Thunder actually made an announcement on their website. They had a whole campaign. There's video footage. The court looks prepped. Even the exterior looks pretty nice as well, so they're ready. The full transition has pretty much already happened at the Paycom Center, but they have taken over from the Chesapeake Energy Arena. They had a 10-year tenure from 2011 to 2021, but now you're going to see a brand new face. going to be the third different namesake to come around. You had the Ford Center, then you had the Chesapeake Energy Arena, and they are finally taking over. But you had that gap, I guess it'd be two, three months now, when Chesapeake Energy terminated their contract back in April. They got this deal done, finally, Everything has been made to the public, and it looks like, you know, they're actually going to be pretty influential. They had a whole plan slated around them in the downtown area because, obviously, you know, the Thunder Arena is probably the most prime real estate you're going to find. Um, So they have a pretty good situation there, but this deal is going to last them for 15 years, so they will not have to worry about anything uh, in terms of longevity here. If money becomes an issue, they can also try to work out a termination. We don't have the actual deals to whether there'd be a termination clause or what the annual increase would be. 
because with the Chesapeake Energy deal, they had a 3% increase every single year. We don't know that uh, when it comes to Paycom, but I'd assume it probably right along the same lines. We don't know the money as well. We just know it's 15 years, but they actually allowed people, media and I'm assuming residents alike inside the arena yesterday and one of the people who was inside was Joe Musato of the Oklahoman and he snapped a good amount of pictures kind of got some good insights as to what the you know what it's going to look like when we got fans in the building so on the floor what you're going to see is on the baseline they actually have a Paycom logo and if you guys don't know Paycom they're pretty big in the Oklahoma City area they do a lot of stuff when it comes to uh, payroll as well as human resource technology, and I think there's over 3,700 jobs just in the OKC area alone that have been provided by the company. So they've been there for a while. They've headquartered there. They founded it in OKC back in 1988, but they got this green logo, has a little bit of a square, I would say. Not a completely finished square. Like There's a little slice they got, but this little green square, and you got Paycom and green as well they have that on the baseline and you got a white box behind it so it's definitely pretty obvious to see uh, no matter where you are as opposed to some of the other baseline logos where you don't have that big giant white background but in all fairness green and the light blue that the thunder currently use they probably wouldn't match well so they needed to do something like that anyways the big deal though is what you have on the court and this is what we've seen with every court i mean chesapeake energy had their chesapeake energy arena logo on both ends of of the floor obviously you have the timeline and then a little bit past that by the sideline you're gonna see a logo you got two of those one top one bottom of the floor gotta get it in camera view for each time someone goes up and down and Musato only took one snapshot of it, but you know, it's kind of a given that it's going to be mirrored on the other end. So you're going to see two Paycom logos, same deal here, where you got a green square almost with the green Paycom. Center is in black though. So it's a bit of a different change from what you saw with Chesapeake Energy Arena, kind of blended with the court. There wasn't a lot of crazy colors. Will be an adjustment period, but I don't think it's the end of the world, to be quite honest with you. So they have all that down. And then also you got an, a pretty bright green Jumbotron. And the exterior of the place looks like the Boston Celtics almost. You know, I'd assume that the lighting they will have is not going to be solely green. Um, just due to the nature of the Thunder not, you know, having green as their primary color. But the way it looks now, the whole exterior is just laced with some blue lighting and signage. And then on the top, there is a lot of lights. Of course, on the top of the, the roof there, you got to put Paycom Center. Um, but also, like the whole entire top of it looks like it's going to be lit up green. So maybe they can change it up. I know places like the MSG, they can change the exterior lighting, you know, with a flip of a switch. So it could be one of those things where depending on the game, or situation they might have different lighting around the arena but it looks like green is what they're going with at least for right now so no real surprises like i mentioned with the paycom center you know they were almost the front runners if you want to consider that i think a lot of people speculated that they were going to be the guys 
who came up with this deal and they ended up getting it so good on them and we're gonna see them for a very long time best part about it is you're able to go into this arena starting you know the beginning of the NBA season and probably even before because the Thunder they were the only team last year to never let people inside the arena that was due to COVID as we all know you know there are a lot of teams who only had like attendances in the single digits like they barely had any home games at all the Thunder they just opted not to bring any fans back and they're going to be geared up um, for next season so I'm assuming that it's going to be pretty packed. We got to work on that nickname just a little bit, though. But moving on, we actually have some news from the Thunder roster, and this has to do with Tony Bradley. And this has been a guy, we've kind of known the journey with this guy. We kind of knew that there was a predetermined destiny with him, but we ended up picking up Bradley at the trade deadline this past season. This is where we traded out George Hill. We got Tony Bradley and actually two second round picks back. So they got out of that extremely well. I mean, George Hill was a great player. Don't get me wrong. He actually started before he got hurt, but Tony Bradley only 22 at the time. Now he's 23, but you got those two seconds. They clearly did a great job and they gave Tony Bradley an amazing opportunity to play with the team. But with that being said, it looks like his time is actually going to be over with because his deal has closed. It's been his fourth year around in the league. First round pick four years ago, picked up the two plus two. Now he's done. But with that, just like all rookies, they actually have a qualifying offer where if you pick that up, you get their rights and they're going to be a restricted free agent. Now, just due to the nature of where Bradley was picked, his qualifying offer was actually worth $5.2 million, which may not look like a lot on the surface. The Thunder could definitely take 5.2, but you know, when you look at Dort, Baisley, I mean, Deck, Roby, Williams, pretty much like the whole roster is getting paid less than that. And Tony Bradley was kind of just a backup for us, a very good one, but for 5.2 not to even be guaranteed to hold on to him, I don't necessarily know if that would have been worth it, so I think that they made a pretty solid move in doing this, but Tony Bradley is definitely a great player, but it was just kind of to be expected with that kind of salary and the uh, presumptive role had he been re-signed for next season, but he's still relatively young, like if we were to have brought him back, um, which we still can technically, we just don't have him restricted, so he can go anywhere, he's unrestricted, but if we were to bring him back, I mean, he's 23 years old, so that's still young, he's a good rebounder, very good interior scorer, can't really shoot well, but in his little stint with the Thunder, 22 games, he averaged 8.7 points and 6.1 rebounds in just 18 minutes a game, so he didn't have a lot of run, but he was still extremely productive, if you want to say it's like the Moses Brown effect where it's all stat padding, I don't know if all that was stat padding, truthfully, with Brown, but I don't think it's like that with Bradley. I mean, he showed with Utah, more with Philadelphia than Utah, that he's going to be a very good backup. And at 23, no doubt about it, there's going to be a lot of playoff teams looking to scoop up backup bigs. Tony Bradley's going to be in that pool. I don't know, 5.2 mil a year is exactly where he'd be at, but I think he's going to be a steady uh, big man just kind of sifting through teams throughout his career because he already 
has been through three, I guess maybe even four. I think there was like some weird trade that he might have been through, um, but he's only played for three before. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of interesting with him. I mean, as I said, we kind of knew um, what it was going to be with him, but there's no more centers left on this roster officially now because you had Al Horford and Moses Brown. You traded him, both of them, during the playoffs to get Kemba and pick number 16, and Bradley was kind of sitting there, and, you know, it's like, well, you need a center, but also, is Bradley going to do that for you if he's not this hybrid pace and space guy that maybe SGA would want? So, you know, they made this move. Clearly, they're gonna need a, they're gonna need a center, right? And it's gonna have to be through free agency. It will have to be through the draft. They actually had Thon Maker in the OKC airport. I don't know if that means much. Uh, I might have actually discussed it on the pod uh, a little bit earlier um, on in the week. But yeah, I mean, they brought him in. He's a center. He's only twenty four. He's more of that like hybrid. Maybe he can shoot. You know, he's still extremely raw, and he hasn't really played to his expectations to this point, but maybe you could bring him in. Um, But yeah, Bradley looks like he's probably going to go elsewhere, but he was actually with a lot of Thunder, uh, people within the Thunder and the Blue just yesterday, and he probably still is. He was taking part in live scrimmages with a bunch of different people. Of those, we know, because there were a lot of guys... They're just confirmed cases based off of Instagram posts and who you can kind of see in them. But the list that I have right now, I have nine people who were at this scrimmage at UT. And I'm assuming, you know, they're going to be there for a little bit longer. But you got Vit Krejci, Alexei Pokashevsky, Teo Maladone, Josh Hall, Jalen Horde, Rob Edwards, Tony Bradley, Isaiah Roby. And Kenrich Williams. So Bradley, he's gone, but the remaining guys, you know, they very well could be staying. And I think it's a little bit weird how everything kind of played out. You know, since the Thunder are kind of so upfront when it comes to deals, they always want to make things mutual. I would have felt like Bradley would have known, and I actually thought Bradley was training in Florida. So I'm surprised he actually, you know, came to UT to play with some of these guys. But maybe there still is kind of that agreement like they had with Burton where we're not going to pick you up right now but the offer still might be on the table later because they never got Burton back for this past season but there was still that mutual interest and Burton is still actually playing in OKC right now so we'll see but for the rest I think it's pretty interesting I think that everyone probably should stay out of this group at least for the summer league and the only three that I can really pick out here that I'm not 100% certain on are Josh Hall, Jalen Horde, and Rob Edwards. And I think primarily Rob Edwards is the guy that I'm not so sure about because Rob Edwards, he was probably one of the best players on the blue, definitely the most exciting guy off the bench. I mean, he just had to stroll up, pull up, catch and shoot, whatever it was. He came in, played a Jordan Clarkson role, shot 44% from downtown, and I mean, if you saw him in the left wing with the basketball, you needed to give him every bit of defense possible because he would take an inch and he'd still drill shots in your face. Like he would get hot like crazy. And I think people are going to value that, not just in the G League circuit, 
but also potentially, you know, a two-way pickup or overseas. I think an overseas contract for Edwards would actually net him a lot because even though on defense, he was a little bit iffy, his three-point shot was so consistent and he actually flashed a bit of an inside game and mid-range pull-up. I believe he probably could make a a statement or he at least could get a deal potentially in you know one of like a euro league maybe liga acb one of those leagues that are you know right below the nba play but i guess you could actually argue would be above the typical play you would see in the g league but he's a very good pickup and i hope he actually remains with the roster i just feel like there's definitely going to be some overseas suitors or even other people trying to vie for him to come to their training camp. Uh, I will note, though, I mean, Rob Edwards was the second-round pick of the blue. There were, like, no picks after Rob Edwards, so a lot of teams had their chance. They just never took a shot with him. One thing, though, that I will say, um, this is not Edwards. This is more directed towards Jalen Horde. Like, I've said it. I think Jalen Horde's a great player. He's actually been in OKC lately with draft prospects. I think he had dinner with, it might've been AJ Wiggins, but he was out eating dinner with prospects. Seems like there's still that relationship and he's been literally in the locker rooms. I don't know if they ax him. I mean, if Tony Bradley's getting stuff like this happen to him, um, I'd assume that, you know, nothing is off the table. He could not get picked up in free agency. He's definitely worth the two-way contract, though. The only thing with me is, you know, he doesn't have that shot, and they're already so stacked at small forward and power forward. I just don't know. And then you also need to compete with Josh Hall, who, even though he didn't really play that much, he kind of had that one breakout 25-point game, nothing else. I think that potential was enough. And then on top of that, he was injured the whole time. He's kind of like that Kenyon Martin Jr. blueprint where he was kind of unknown. He didn't take the college route. He was playing prep school. And for Kenyon Martin, he's blossomed as an athletic wing for the Rockets. Josh Hall is more of a point forward with some finishing ability. I think he can carve out a role, um, you know, as a bench guy for sure. So I could see them taking him back on a two-way contract. I feel more confident about Hall than I do with the other two players listed. And just to tack a little bit more stuff about the OKC Blue, two guys that I didn't see in the workouts, which one of them, maybe, maybe I could have seen him there, but I'm not going to clarify it or, you know, say for sure it happened. I don't think I saw Xavier Simpson or Melvin Frazier Jr. there. And those were two of the staples of the blue roster. I'd say Simpson more than Frazier. Frazier was kind of coming off the bench. He had a weird spot under Grant Gibbs. But Simpson had like 6.1 attempts a game. He was the leader on the team. And I feel like he definitely would have had another offer. He was perfect under what the blue were doing. I do think just like Rob Edwards, though, he could have his name calling uh, overseas and those deals when you want to compare things at least salary wise are actually a lot more enticing so maybe he wants to go there but maybe he just simply wasn't available for the week and I'm just over exaggerating things just know that list of nine that I said we all know they were at University of Texas at Austin moving on though 
I want to talk about SGA and the rumors that have been surrounding him. And let me tell you, there have been so many rumors about SGA in the past two weeks. It's laughable, and everybody knows about it. If you're on Thunder Twitter, any sort of social media, you're going to see SGA terrible trades. Bleacher Report has had him going to the Rockets for just four, for instance. I mean, the Instagram accounts that just have random trades, they're probably even worse there, but nothing has really stuck. When you see SGA for four, everyone just laughs at it or they take it really seriously. And obviously, Presti's not trading SGA away for what would probably be Jalen Suggs. That'd be ridiculous to do that with what we already know with SGA. But the one little chatting point has been, what about SGA for Cade Cunningham straight up? And for the most part, Thunder fans have disagreed. And I've kind of been on that boat as well. I've seen SGA as kind of the lone untouchable on the team. You have 18 firsts until 2027. You got 18 seconds to go along with that on top of all the different young assets that you might have on the current roster. I just feel like SGA is one of those guys that really you can't replace. And that's kind of the same thing with Cade Cunningham too, if you want to think about it. But for what, 23 years old now? SGA is one of the best guys under 25. I mean, he was giving all-star numbers on a team that was kind of playing poor. I mean, he had to run a lot of the offense. That was kind of the system. But just driving to the basket, he was ridiculous. The step back improved for him. He showed a lot, and he was hurt the back end of the year. If that wasn't the case, who would have known what would have happened to the Thunder? They would have definitely had less ping pong balls when it came down to the actual business on lottery night. But he was crazy. And the trade one for one has been disputed heavily. But that's not what people have been talking about. The deal that people have been talking about is actually SGA plus pick number six to move up five spots to select Cade Cunningham. And the sources for this deal, because this has actually been um, something that's not a rumor. This is kind of those hearsay, this has been reported, I've heard that the offer the Thunder have made have been this, and there's a legitimate um, kind of source out there that says that the Thunder have actually talked to Troy Weaver and tried to make a deal, but we've never heard from like a Woj or a Shams what that package was, and the six for, you know, six plus SGA has been the one people have been mentioning, but it hasn't come from any of the heavy hitters, and that doesn't discredit them per se, but it's kind of one of those deals where you look at it and it's like, well, why exactly would they do that? And I think from the Thunder perspective, I mean, you would need to grade Cade Cunningham as an absolute generational prospect, because if you see that, then this trade actually does make sense. You don't see six foot eight guys as well-rounded as Cade Cunningham would be, but the big deal is, is he just going to be good in all those areas or is he going to be elite? And since he's so special already with the mold he has, he's only 19 years old. If the Thunder thinks by 23-24, he's going to be great in all those areas and he's going to be an all-star, then great. That's when you mold that. But if you aren't 100% certain, if there's that 1% of you that thinks maybe it doesn't work out, I don't know if you'd want to take this risk because it's such a high risk right now. And it's one of those moves that 
I think really over everything else actually stunts your process a little bit. Like, I understand that they're currently rebuilding, but if you take out a 23-year-old SGA and you swap it out for a 19-year-old who still needs to work his way back up, I mean, that is really setting the tone for what to expect. And the age would be ridiculous. Everyone would be teenagers on this roster almost. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it's one of those moves that at best you're kind of moving laterally. On that flip side, though, I think if you don't trade SGA in a Kate Cunningham package, you could give them all the picks. I mean, that two tandem, you know, the one and the two between Kate and SGA, that's going to be one of the most promising in the entire NBA. So that'd be different. You'd take the offer, but Detroit simply would not be doing that. And honestly, this could be a smokescreen. Maybe these reports have been, you know, passed down from source to source, but oftentimes what you see through these smoke screens are, pe- are people like inside organizations will drop out little pieces of news and they just spread like wildfire. Maybe that's the case here, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd trade SGA or you even involve him in a trade outside of the war room setting where the pressure's really on. And if it's true, the Pistons are still unsure between Kate Cunningham and Jalen Green, for example, I think they could just be pressured into wanting to make a move for a guy like SGA. But even them, I mean, they kind of have Killian Hayes at the point guard. Kate Cunningham can do a little bit everything. I think he's a little bit more switchable than SGA. So it's one of those weird moves that almost could be debated as a lose-lose. But yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, even when you look down the line at two and three packages without SGA aren't amazing. I'll talk more about all this draft stuff actually later on in the day when I get part two out to you all. But, you know, that was just kind of my deal on things where SGA is so good right now. You're taking a risk on Cade and you're giving up pick number six too, which that might be one of the better picks you're going to see for a decent bit, knowing how this lottery can shake up sometimes. But pivoting from that, we are going to move from one of OKC's biggest darlings to one of their biggest darlings of the past and maybe even present still in Steven Adams because he actually got traded a couple days ago. He got sent off in a package including Eric Bledsoe, pick number 10 and pick number 40 over to Memphis. So the Grizzlies got Adams, Bledsoe, pick 10 and pick 40 and the Pelicans in return got Jonas Valanciunas, pick number 17 and pick number 51. But on top of this, the Pelicans actually made a little bit over $20 million in cap space opened up. I think when you go down to the particulars, it might actually be $24 million. So that's a big gap, actually, when you think about it. But they made over $20 million a room. So they're going to be able to play with a lot more food when it comes down to making a deal, per se, with like Alonzo Ball or anyone else that they would like, potentially even a Kyle Lowry, who they have been linked to in the past. But when I look at this deal on the surface, I think the Pelicans, obviously, um, nothing against Bledsoe or Adams, but this improved their play style a lot. And they traded from 10 to 17, which is kind of the big deal for me. I think if it was Valanchunas for Adams and Bledsoe straight up, 
the Grizzlies would not take this deal. The picks were obviously the sweetener, but Valanchunas, he can actually shoot a mid-range jumper, and there's the reports every year that Steven Adams has become this corner specialist three-point ace. I mean, I remember at the BOK Center, this guy launches up 1-3, goes in, and then you don't see him outside of 10 feet again for the whole entire season, and that's just kind of how he was with New Orleans as well. Kind of just one of those more passive guys can only play inside five feet and he's very good he's very strong but if you're going to be a back to the basket big you need to be aggressive and he just was not that and then on top of it all I mean they got to form a team around Zion Williamson and Zion needs shooters he doesn't need those bigs who are going to clog up the lane a little bit and I think Valanchunas does open up some options a little bit better and he can even shoot at the three just a little bit so I think strategically, they are a lot better off right now, and they also, like I said, got Bledsoe out, but on top of it too, I mean, the slide from 10 to 17 might actually not be that big of a hit for them, because when you look at the current state of draft boards right now, a lot of people have those 3 and D wings or just sharpshooters in general sliding. And that's the biggest need that the Pelicans will have in this draft. If you can get Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga at 17, that's a steal. I had them mocked to get him at 10 earlier. But now, when you break down who's in that range from 10 to now 17, I don't really know who would necessarily need a guy like Corey Kispert and then even when you go into other options Trey Murphy for example he's been flying up the board I think 17 that would be a modest selection for him I had him valued I think a pick 14 or 15 on my big board amazing shooter from downtown can play multiple positions on defense he'd be perfect next to Zion he doesn't need the ball all the time and there's even other players out there that you could try to settle for. Maybe even a Kessler Edwards. Uh, I don't know exactly where he would land, but if everyone else is gone, I think he's still a good option. Even Chris Duarte, he's one of the better scorers in this draft class. So I think what you had at 10 and what the Grizzlies will have is more of this opportunity at those large gambles, the Keon Johnsons, the Moody's, the Josh Giddies, maybe even Sengun if he's there. Just the roll the dice picks. I think 17 in the mid first is probably going to be where you find the high floor players. There's way too many polarizing prospects up top though and I think Memphis just could not get their hands off of it. So they got Adams who fits the grit and grind mold of the Grizzlies perfectly. Now, we'll see how he works next to Jaw, if Jaw is able to be compatible with kind of one of those more interior guys. It worked with Westbrook, so maybe it works with Morant too, but I don't know if that's necessarily their biggest need. They still have Tillman, Brandon Clark is there, and so is Jaron Jackson. I think when you look at it, though, they just got to go by best available. I think that's what they're trying to do. One of the big things with them is they've been targeting Book Knight and Kuminga, and that could actually mean that they could, there could be another move by the time I do my next podcast with the Grizz. And the range of Book Knight and Kuminga, it's going to be 6-7 and seven, most likely. I think the Warriors would just take whoever's left. Book Knight would plug into their system. Kuminga 
would make a godfather package next to Wiseman in 14. So they could have leverage there with a pick. But the Grizzlies, I mean, they've done such a good job building up their roster. They could probably try to trade up a couple spots. I don't know if they'd be able to play for six or seven, though. At 10, Josh Giddy's been listed. So maybe they'd want to go take a shot with Josh Giddy or something. But yeah, they were able to crack the code. I mean, 10 was the best avenue for the Thunder to tap in. Clearly, when you look at it, I mean, financially, they could have taken the hit of Adams and Bledsoe, but they didn't have a Valanchunas. That seems like a decent, uh, you know, return, to be quite honest with you, for the Pelicans for two contracts that were not that good to them and, you know, moving down seven spots in the class. So I think everybody did pretty well here. I think the Grizz are trying to move on from Eric Bledsoe right now. So maybe there could be a package with him, but I don't know if he's necessarily viewed as a crazy good asset. Now, he's a guy who he's not a terrible, terrible player. Like you would play him on a championship team. Would you start him? I don't know. I mean, he'd definitely play valuable bench minutes, but he's not like the nastiest contract of all time. So someone might you know, take that reach on him. But I think when you win an order who's available in the point guard market, Kemba Walker's above Eric Bledsoe. And that's very good when you look at it from a Thunder perspective. So they're going to be able to probably flip him, maybe even for assets in today, you know, to span of today or tomorrow. If we don't move him, then it gets real interesting when you have to break down the final 15 and the rotation moving forward. But I'd expect some activity. I'd expect activity all throughout the day for the Thunder. Every organization and draft night, there is going to be a lot of fireworks. think this might have set the president for trade-ups. I think the package was pretty sizable to move up seven picks, and seven picks is a lot. Um, but if the Thunder want to try to move up to nine or something with the Kings, I'd say that's still your best bet available. But I'm going to get the latest news to you guys in part two of the draft day primer. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.